does indeed. Mm, yeah, quite. Yeah, quite. Clink. Mm. Uh, that's a good devil's purse. <laughs> that devil's purse undelivered. <laughs> uh, hello again, everyone. Welcome to Super Duper. Uh, put the microphone. Welcome to Soup. Oh, Christ's sake. Welcome to Super Duperstitious, the paranormal podcast about uh, all things strange with a scientific angle. We're getting better at this, I think. Yeah, I think so. When, well, when I can actually get the microphone where it's supposed to be. That's true, but I want to keep that in because I loved it. Yes. I'm Jake. I'm Wyatt, also known as Winter Solstice. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh, <laughs> we are at this point now, well, you listening are in the throes of winter or summer, depending on the hemisphere you're in. We are in the throes of the second of two back-to-back recordings. Yes, indeed. We are about an hour and a half deep, um, and... About two beers deep? About two beers deep so starting our bad. third. Yeah. yeah. You know, Yet. we're like, we're pros. Yeah. Nailed it. We're the best. The best of this. Jeez. Cut, print, boom. All right. So see you guys next week <laughs> in listening. the new year. And uh, yeah. All right. Cue so, the music. So now that we are well into winter, yeah. uh, up here in New England, it's, it's fairly cold. A little bit cold. A little bit icy and snowy. We did an icy and snowy story for you. Each of us did last week. Right. And so now we're going to go in. We're going to go in a more tropical and warm <laughs> direction. <laughs> Pining for the days of uh, of the comfort of the toastiness. That yes, exactly. And I need to make some mood lighting happen. Oh, again. here we go. Oh, that's moody. That's yeah. moody. All right. So I guess this time I'm starting us off. Yes, indeed. I'm going to begin with a story. Well, first off, I mentioned I didn't say anything last time, but it's because last time is also this time, and there are no updates on the Phantom of the Chicago. Oh, okay. Oh. So, well. What was his yeah. book, though? Lon, Lon, uh, Lon Strickler, the curator owner of phantomsandmonsters.com, from which I'm getting most of these stories of what we're calling the Phantom of the Chicago, a giant right. flying humanoid bat creature or creatures that live in and have been terrorizing Chicago since the beginning of 2017, possibly earlier, most of the sightings of this year. Uh, Lon Strickler, he has a book now about all these sightings called Mothman Dynasty. Which is Chicago's just flying humanoids? It's such a name. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you don't feel like, if you want a fast way to learn all about this Mothman quickly, Dynasty. listen to episode two of this podcast. If you oh want to God. buy a book about it, Mothman Dynasty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm going to begin with the story of a 1907 expedition by Major Percy H. Fawcett into the jungles of Bolivia. You're being a real Major Fawcett right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is from unknownexplorers.com. So this is all quotes here. Alrighty. Major Fawcett was sent by the Royal Geographic Society <laughs> to survey the Rio Abuna and Acre rivers. At 39 years of age, Major Fawcett was known for two things. Fucking and I. Uh, <laughs> uh, being a dreamer and being a matter-of-fact military man who reported exactly what he saw in a detailed and down-to-earth matter. What a polar dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a dreamer, but I'm also a matter-of-fact military guy who's not going to fuck yes. around. But I have big dreams. Uh, during his expeditions into the region for the Royal Geographic Society, as well as his travels in search of lost jungle cities of fantastic wealth and splendor, Fawcett kept memoirs which relate many strange adventures, including uh, one particularly interesting sighting. The encounter okay. occurred on um, in 1907 while Major Fawcett, along with his crew of natives, was drifting along the Rio Negro. At one point in the trip, he spotted a great triangular serpentine head appearing at the bow of his boat. Ooh. Fawcett opened fire, hitting the creature in the spine. 
The giant snake thrashed the water into a foamy frenzy all around the boat as it violently died from its wounds. According to Fawcett, the snake measured 45 feet out of the water and 17 feet in the water, a total of 62 feet, or approximately 18.9 meters. Wait, how do you figure? 45 feet out of the water, 17 feet in the water. What do you mean by that? Just like continuous length? Yeah, so 45 of, of it were like out on this riverbank, 17 oh, feet were submerged. Okay, okay. He cut it in half, or cut it into two pieces. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Fawcett had no way to carry the massive creature back from the interior of the Amazon, so we have only his word on this one. Right. Uh, once publicized, his account was received with ridicule, even though he insisted his account was both truthful and accurate. Major Fawcett's would be the first official Western report of a sighting of a giant anaconda. Ooh. Reports of absolutely enormous snakes came in from many European explorers as the continent was invaded and colonized. Folks would come back saying they had seen snakes up to the same size as Fawcett described. Some people even saying, like, oh, it's 100 feet long. Whoa. Yeah, right. You saw one of the small ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, natives in the area would also tell stories of absolutely massive anacondas. Well, the name Anaconda actually comes not at all from South America. Huh. Uh, I think the name comes from a word in an Indian language that means, like, could kill an elephant or something like that. Oh, no There's kidding. a bunch of different constrictor snakes all over the world, so that's uh, somehow the nomenclature came from there. Interesting. Yes. That's cool. So here's some facts about anacondas. All known <laughs> species of anaconda belong to the genus Eunectes. The end. All right, sorry. Turning a page. <laughs> the end. Yes. Yeah, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> there are four of. Uh, God damn it! <laughs> that was all the preamble to just saying what their genus was. <laughs> That's all I have to tell you guys about. Now you learned a new genus. Oh man! And uh, you're good to go. <laughs> All right, curious. There are four species in the genus, and the largest of these four is the green anaconda, Eunectes marinus. The largest verified specimen was 17.1 feet, or 5.21 meters long, and weighed 215 pounds, or 97.5 kilograms. So we're talking about a quarter That's of the size that the snake. giant anaconda is supposed to be. Right. Still, Whereas, still a very large snake. Oh, but. huge. If you ever see pictures of these, these aren't... Uh, so the anaconda is not the longest snake in the world, but it's far and away the biggest. Like, right. You know, heaviest, uh, thickest. If you see people carrying these things, like it, the overall length turns out to be, yeah, at most 17 feet, but they're just so big across they're and they huge. weigh so much. And you yeah. see like a big line of like a dozen people all holding one up. And like straining under the weight of oh, it. Oh, yeah. They're just massive. So the biggest verified specimen is about 17 feet a geologist surveying for a petroleum company in Colombia in 1944 reported an anaconda that was about 39.4 feet or 12 meters he had wow. a four meter rod for his surveying and used it to measure the snake saying that it was three rods long however this particular account could not be substantiated without once again any evidence beyond the guy just saying so right, right. he didn't publish the finding until years and years later and even admitted that he may have misremembered and it might have only been two rods long. Uh, but even then, <sighs> eight meters is 26.2 feet and still well above the world record. But sure. he wasn't super confident in his measurement afterwards. Like, yeah, it was, it was big. He wasn't there to measure snakes. It just happened to work out that he was saw a big one, <laughs> shot it, and killed it. Right. Anacondas live exclusively in South America and are largely aquatic, meaning that finding and catching them is, technically speaking, an enormous fucking pain in the ass. Right. <laughs> uh, Technical terms. Yes. Consequently, determining their maximum potential size is extremely difficult to do. Uh, measuring length in the field is hard enough, and when the things can be hundreds of pounds, it's just a nightmare of impracticality. 
uh, trying to bring the snake back is thus usually not an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, skinning the snake is one method that has been employed. And then people who tan the skins they've gotten are able to stretch them to exaggerate the snake's living size by as uh, much as 50%. Oh, shit. Yeah. So someone could find a 14-foot snake, which is, of course, huge, but also a pretty average for the green anaconda, and could then use the skin to claim that it was 21 feet, and that's right. a new world record. Right. Uh, not everyone is out to hoax giant anacondas, but also not everyone is a scientist out to rigorously document shit. No, dude. Nor would anyone be expected to. But the result is that no amount of evidence brought in is ever really enough to confirm anything. Right, For right. example, photos of giant anacondas abound. And while there are many that are just photoshopped pictures of large snakes, like, you know, an aerial view of a snake that seems like it's taking up, like, an entire town size. Like, oh, it's just really big, obvious photoshops and stuff. Right. Uh, many genuine photos just lack anything in the picture that provides scale. So a photo of an anaconda... No intended. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, they are. They are scaly snakes. <laughs> uh, so a photo of an anaconda on a riverbank could be a photo of the biggest snake ever, but its surroundings are just water and some bushes. So right. there's, there's no way to tell that it is not just like 10 feet long. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I say that as though 10 feet is still a huge snake, yeah, but it's crazy that'd be a below average size for an adult green anaconda. Sure. So are giant anacondas, as described, actually real? Uh, mm. The main point with all of this is how ambiguous the idea is. How how big could an anaconda really get? Mm-hmm. Difficult to say with any certainty. Instead, we could ask, how big can't they get? Hmm. So anacondas belong to the family Boidae, the non-venomous constrictor snakes. Mm-hmm. Like all members of the family, they kill prey by wrapping around it and tightening their grip until it suffocates. Then they swallow it. Uh, the death is purely due to asphyxiation as opposed to crushing. They just squeeze so it can't breathe. Right. Also, one cool thing hmm. that constrictors do is when the prey animal exhales and their chest kind of compresses, the snake then tightens to, like, to fill up that little bit of extra space again so they can't inhale again. Right, right. Just a cool, creepy thing they it do. It is really <laughs> freaky. And it's the kind of thing, too, like, I think even with a snake smaller than an anaconda, like, even, like, a boa constrictor or something like this, mm-hmm. still a pretty large snake. But oh, yeah. something I think a lot of people have a misconception that they could fight one off or, like, oh, you know, reasonably, si- probably an anaconda would, like, take me out, but, like, something like a boa constrictor could never get me. It is incredible how much they are designed purely to crush. Yes. That is the like the thing they do. They, their muscles are so strong for that. And they're mostly slow moving until they're attacking. And just the speed with which they're able to wrap around and start constricting is, is pretty astounding. It is very much so. Um, I mean, they're designed for bursts of speed like that. And then the rest of the time, they're pretty damn slow. Right. Yeah. Like most, if not all, snakes, anacondas can swallow prey quite a bit bigger in circumference than their normal body size within reason anyway. They, I mean, they can't swallow like, you know, a car. But like they can swallow things pretty big as long <laughs> as they can't. It doesn't make them stretch too much. Maybe a mini. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and like all reptiles, their cold-blooded metabolism means they can eat one huge meal and then digest it for a wicked long time and not have another such meal for weeks or longer. Right. Uh, as for size, like all reptiles, anacondas do in fact have what's called indeterminate growth, which hmm. means they theoretically keep getting bigger until they die. Mm-hmm. Um, also, boas of all sorts give birth to live young. They're what's considered ovoviviparous. Mm-hmm. So all reptiles lay eggs, but... In this case, instead of just being um, oviparous or, say, mammals are viviparous, they're ovoviviparous, which means they do have eggs, but they basically kind of hatch inside the female, and then she releases the live young. Right. And so because of that, the anaconda can give birth directly into the water rather than lay eggs on land, 
which remove the size limitations associated with having to get around on land a whole lot. They that can spend cool. pretty much their whole life in the water, and that can take away one of the limitations on how big they can get because weight no longer is really an issue for them, and neither is speed. Uh, however, the rate of growth slows quite a bit over time, so there's likely a practical upper size limit. Even if they do keep getting bigger their whole life, it's not going to be at the same speed of growth as like you know from the beginning of their life to the first year. Like It's, it's going to uh, slow sure. down a lot over time. Right. Uh, and speaking of practicality, one really interesting consideration would limit the maximum size these snakes might evolve to reach. This is from the doctoral dissertation of Jesus Antonio Rivas back in 2000, huh. the title of which is The Life History of the Green Anaconda, Eunectes marinus, with emphasis on its reproductive biology. Uh, although large females are able to produce more offspring per clutch, like, as they get bigger they can have more offspring each time, females breed less and less frequently as they get older, which me- uh, mm. would negate the increased clutch size. So it's just as they get bigger, they re- reproduce less. So a female large enough would essentially no longer breed, which offers huh. no fitness advantage to getting that big. Right. So based based on extrapolations from sizes of a bunch of other far easier to measure snakes, like mostly in North America, <laughs> um, the maximum size for an anaconda would therefore be about 6.7 meters or 22 feet. Okay. You may recognize this as still a friggin' huge snake. That's still massive. <laughs> so big. Again, the biggest recorded one is only about 17 feet. So this is still about five feet longer. Right. And five feet, like a five foot snake would be huge. That's already a lot of snake. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So another consideration is, as always with stories like these, natural history. Ooh, uh, so get ready for the fossil species. Uh-huh. The largest snake species ever to slither the earth was Titanoboa. I think um, that was slather rather than slither, slather. at that size. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which lived during the middle to late uh, Paleocene, which is about 60 to 58 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lived in what is now Colombia and ate mostly fish. No shit. Yeah. People for a while thought it would be the same as stuff now as eating big old animals, but they figured out that it actually ate largely fish. Wow. Based hmm. on most known snake proportions for this kind of snake, Titanoboa is estimated to have been about 12.8 meters or 42 feet long Ugh. and to have weighed about 1,135 kilograms or 2,500 pounds. So that's more than a ton. It's like hard to even fathom. Yeah. It's just such a big animal. Longer than like a bus. Yeah. Just insane. Oof. So absolutely massive friggin' snakes are theoretically possible, <laughs> but the earth was also quite a bit warmer back then. Amphs, if you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like R-O-U-S. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so the earth was a lot warmer back then. Uh, so an ectothermic animal, like an anaconda, is going to take an even longer time to absorb heat from the sun and get warm enough uh, to move around and stuff like they need to, the bigger its body gets. Right. Which may also create an upper body size limit based on that. So if based the ambient like, temperature mm. on average is lower, its size probably can't get quite to Titanoboa size. It's just size. too much heat requirement to get the engine going. Yes. So what's the take home here? Uh, well, we know anacondas can be about 17 feet, you know, five and some meters, and the snakes on Earth have been up to and perhaps exceeding 42 feet, 12.8 meters. So maybe there's a happy medium that the uh, anaconda can reach, somewhere between the biggest we've seen and the biggest a snake may ever have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to these snakes being so damned hard to access, those which we can get to live in areas with smaller prey available. Mm. So anacondas can eat things as big as whole tapirs. majority of this sort of large prey lives in the most remote parts of the rainforest, where humans very simply can't go. Mm-hmm. So we know for a fact that there are snakes we can't get to in areas where lots of bigger food is available to them. 
Uh, from there, it follows logically that Anaconda is larger than any previously recorded, or not only possible, but probable. Mm, right. Uh, the only question remaining is how big they can actually get. And it makes sense that the answer will fall somewhere between what we've actually seen and what people report erring more on the smaller side of that range. Yeah, sure. I mean, nowhere near 100 feet. That's insane, um, yeah. <laughs> but as far as, yeah, something somewhere between how big people think they are and, and, and how big we have already seen. If the reproductive limits put the cap at 22 feet, that's still a huge snake. That's a lot of snakes. Yeah, but we can also dream a little and imagine that they could push beyond that to around maybe 30 feet even. I mean, yeah, sure. Especially if that's just like they can't reproduce a but whole lot more. But maybe you get that one that freak snake who's... Sure, and they, it's just because they aren't reproducing that much doesn't mean they're not going to still be alive. Like, it's not like no, once right. you stop reproducing, you say, well, I'm done and yep, die. that's the end. Yeah, so there wouldn't be an evolutionary pressure to get that big, but there wouldn't be anything to stop it getting that big. Evolution right, doesn't right. try and... Uh, you know, make the most efficient thing. It's just like whatever works. Yeah, right. And if it's <laughs> what still, doesn't fail, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if they're able to reproduce their whole life and then stop reproducing after a certain point, I mean, hey, go they, for it. Yeah, snake. they can still do it. We do that. High, high snakes reproduction. <laughs> yes. Um, let's end with one more account. This time it's from her, herpetologist Mark O'Shea. Oh shit! For him, yeah, uh, redheaded British guy. Used the to name have, is ringing a bell. He used to have a show on Animal Planet called O'Shea's Big Adventure. Cool. Uh, he was a cool guy. He was, that was back in the the golden era of um, the Discovery Network when they had all kinds of awesome people. They had Mark back. O'Shea. They had Nigel Marvin. They had. Um, was this the Steve Irwin era as well? I, I can't remember if Steve Irwin and Mark O'Shea overlapped or not, but they're very similar types of people, is especially this... in the sense that as as far as both being really into herpetology and both getting all up in there when it came to field stuff like <laughs> just tackling things i kind of wish his show was oh shay there's a snake <laughs> yeah <laughs> so here's this is also is this also before animal planet was surprisingly human oh christ yes way before that <laughs> before animal planet tlc and discovery channel all merged into one and amorphous I yeah i think they were all already um part of discovery network but it was before they all became reality shows exclusively. Uh, yeah dude oh Boy, oh boy. Back when Discovery's tagline was "Explore your world." Yeah, there you go. <sighs> it's just making me sad now, <laughs> uh, dude. I tell you, man. Hey, at um, least it got us when we were in our formative years. Yes. So here is an account from herpetologist Mark O'Shea. It's on his website. This will be linked. This is leading up to and following an expedition for the show into Peru to find this one giant anaconda supposedly living there in the rivers and stuff, the waterways. So these are all quotes from Mark. There are many giant anaconda stories in the Amazon, but the largest anaconda on record is only about 8 meters in length. Many of the stories, including Ricardo's from Panacocha, are based on the sighting of huge coils floating on the surface. Hmm. From the vast girth of these coils, the observer guesstimates that the rest of the body beneath the surface is of similar girth, that the head is massive and the snake extraordinarily long. However, the huge floating coils are much more likely to belong to a large but more modestly proportioned female anaconda that has recently fed. Mm-hmm. The gases released during the digestion of a large prey animal, such as a capybara or caiman, will cause the skin to stretch to almost breaking point, and these vastly inflated gas-filled coils will naturally float to the surface like an elongate, tough-skinned balloon. Uh. From the interviews we carried out on the Rio Wasaga and around Laguna Anatico, I have no reason to believe there is an unnaturally large anaconda in the river or lagoons of the region, and continue to be skeptical of any anaconda reports in excess of 8 to 10 meters. Mm-hmm. Mark also says in general that he doubts they can exceed 12 meters or 40 feet. But that's a snake anyone would be pretty excited to see. Still, that's quite a lot of snake. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So that's kind of the what an expert would say to explain 
these many sightings people say of, of huge snakes in the field, if you aren't able to actually directly measure it, if you're just estimating, of course your imagination is going to wander. And with right. snakes as thick as these are, we'll, we'll, we'll pick one really good picture to post along sure, with this to sure. show just how enormous they can be. It'd be cool to do a side-by-side of a green anaconda and the reconstructions of Titanoboa. Yeah, Titanoboa will be... And you mentioned the idea of the size of a bus, and there are sometimes like images because, showing one on the side yeah. next to a bus and stuff. So we'll definitely show... Uh, just how big snakes can get and, and what that actually means to be that size. It's so. fun to think about. Like, man, you know, that thing fucking existed. Like, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to... And even funny to think, uh, I guess it mostly ate fish for some reason. That really blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. Last time I looked, they were still, you know, choke slamming dinosaurs <laughs> yes. and shit. So. Um, I think, uh, probably that means just from the fossil record, they've only found a certain number of them. It's like just the bones that they have found, they reconstructed sure. and used like known proportions of snakes like that to say okay well if we have these vertebrae and these ribs and like this piece of a jawbone right. the whole snake must have been about this big and so say they may not have found many that had a lot by way of prey bones inside of them and the ones sure. they have found maybe had fish yeah that's all they so can conclusively say I maybe guess, one was stage. on a diet like we don't know that they always <laughs> yeah. ate just that but um it just the thing that comes to my mind is like the snakes that i can think of that are aquatic or fish you know specialists pescatarian pescatarians yes are typically highly venomous because they need yeah. to subdue their prey like you know a split second right and so when i think of titanoboa maybe the name is a bit of a misnomer in that case but i wouldn't think of it as a venomous i don't think it was venomous as far as i know, know anyway super herp that's the cool thing about like the anacondas there they're non-venomous they strictly rely on just quickly grabbing something and then wrapping around it before it can escape. Strictly constrictors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they have teeth that are angled towards the back of their throat. That's so like right. As far as things what they grab on, things can't pull out. Interesting thing I learned, possibly I think from Mark O'Shea back watching his show. I think oh, it might sure. have been him who said this. If you were to find yourself bitten by an anaconda, demonstrating if your fist was somehow in its mouth. Yeah. You can't pull out or it's going to tear apart your, your skin. Like, you can't do that. Right. So to instead force your your fist down its throat a little bit more until it actually will um, reach a point where it will gasp for breath and then use that opportunity to pull out. Oh, my God. Cause, yeah, because it does have... Um, it's like a Chinese finger trap, exactly, if you will. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit higher stakes. <laughs> yeah, quite so. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they aren't known to um, eat humans. I mean, they can bite, but it's only in defense. It's happened, though, I think. I think there have been reports... Of like children and and uh, people like being consumed, um, but it's not particularly common. They um, they yeah. usually go for smaller game, but they can go for things as big as like I said, a tapir. They'll eat capybara. They'll eat caiman. They'll eat whatever they can get, deer and things. Right. And the biggest they probably get to would be a tapir, mm-hmm. which um this is a pretty good size. That's a good size. If they can handle yeah. that, they could easily handle a a man. Oh, definitely. So. Or woman. Or woman. They'll eat women <laughs> too. But yeah, that's cool. Damn. So there's my tropical story. Hilariously enough, I also have a giant creature mm. for today's tropical story. Um, and for me, I have a more creatively named Ahu. 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 <laughs> so the Ahu. The Ahu. To set the scene for this cryptid, we can turn to Indonesia which is an island country just off of the southern coast of Southeast Asia and north of Australia. Mm-hmm. This is a tropical... Oceania, in- if you oh, will. Oceania. Yes, indeed. 
um, verging on Malaysia. And that region, I guess, extends out to Polynesia. But who's asking? Um, so Indonesia, series of islands. You got Java. You got Borneo. You got a little bit of Papua New Guinea's up in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a tropical area, very richly biodiverse, and uh, covered largely in rainforest. I'm, I'm going to start with the Ahul, but I'm going to branch out after I cover some of this. Cool. The Ahul, especially on the Isle of Java, it has been reported. Wow, I'm doing a great job. Let me take it from the top. Let me take it from the top. Oh, God. Welcome to Super Duperstitious. <laughs> Paranormal Podcast. Par- <laughs> Paranormal Podcast. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> So this is a sort of Chicago phantom-like creature um, mm-hmm. and has been reported twice, as I mentioned, from Java. Um, it's effectively a massive bat-like beast with dark eyes, large claws on its forearms, and a body covered in black or gray fur. Mm-hmm. And its name, Ahul, is based on its distinctive and drawn-out Ahul call okay <laughs> which reminds me of the uh owls of gahool joke from comedy bang bang which you may recall it's a great podcast you guys should listen to it um so <laughs> the ahool is said to have a wingspan of three meters or almost twice as long as the largest known bat in the world mm. the flying fox it is suggested as a nocturnal species which also hunts for fish hilariously enough by <laughs> skimming along rivers and other bodies of water all in all, it's sort of not entirely crazy sounding to me, but no hard evidence has been shown to date. Right. Its face has been described as almost like that of a monstrous ape, hmm. but I can envision this as being a misdetail of a bat's face. Sure. If I mean, they can be pretty... They're rather flat-faced. Yeah. In, in some species, at least. Yeah, some but the are, flying fox is a lot much more pointy more snooty but it depends snooty looking down its long nose at us the um it really depends on the kind of thing that the type of what it depends on what the bat eats so you have the insectivorous and and like just generally carnivorous bats have the more flat faces and the fruit bats have the longer faces usually good observation i'd not thought of that before i don't know if that rule holds across all bat species but i think it's just kind of a, a hard and fast rule and so if this is a, a another pescatarian, this is a pescatarian bat. Yes, indeed. Then, yeah, it would make sense to have a flatter face, and that could be seen as more ape-like. Yeah, there there you have it. I more, like more gargoyle-like, perhaps. Uh, gargoyle. <laughs> Actually, I could tell an additional story that I don't have prepared for this segment, but I almost threw it in. Okay. And I might dig it up. All right, we'll see. If we'll, we can definitely do that if you like. Again, I found only two well-documented accounts. Both are from a Western visitor to Java, which was Dr. Ernest Bartels, who was in the area to just sort of generally explore the waterfalls and rainforests of the Salic Mountains. His first experience was in 1925. While hiking around, he reports that a giant bat flew directly over his head and quickly off into the distance. I think it directly into him. Just, just rammed. <laughs> <laughs> it took a bite out of my face. <laughs> the second came two years later in 1927, around 11.30 p.m. Dr. Bartel suddenly hears a loud, clear cry over his hut. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> It's like that, dude, that's the exact inflection that it would use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, <laughs> What was that? <laughs> so he, so delicate. Yes. He, um, he hears the sound move through the canopy 
and is instantly convinced that it came from the same creature that flew over his head years earlier. Okay, so it's not like you see it and hear it. It's yeah, just like exactly. totally isolated incidents and then deciding, well, they must be the same this thing. This is the same thing, right. right. He very reasonably, I thought, um, suggests that the creature was a bird rather than a bat. Okay. At least on this second event. He he did think it was maybe the thing that he saw before, but he did describe that as like a massive bat at that mm. point. His colleagues at the time apparently had also similar experiences but were strongly against the idea that it could be a large bird however i like his angle of it being a bird in that two large earless owls do exist on java oh the spotted wood owl and the javan wood owl what's the difference in terms of how you emphasize the words how's this now you just emphasized wood differently for each version i did didn't i (laughs) holy lord (laughs) i did do that oh no they're a bit larger in size the javan wood owl i'm just picturing one is like like (laughs) w-o-o-d and one is w-o-u-l-d exactly (laughs) so the javan owls there we go are a bit larger and with a wingspan of maybe about four feet Hmm. however wingspans are easily overestimated you can think of our Terratorn episode, perhaps. Yes. Flying animals, when not held in hand, are just very easy to go, oh, wow, I saw something that was like 10 feet across, but it was actually probably more like six or yeah. even five. Plus, Especially if, it's, if you think it's something, if it's flying, it's going to be far away, or people think it's further away than it is. Right. And it's not against the backdrop of anything but sky, so there's no scale there. Kind of like with the Anaconda. If you don't have a scale thing next to it, you can't tell how big it is. Exactly. And here's the little face. Look at that little guy. So Look at that wood owl. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, kind of a cute little guy in the daylight. But it has a conspicuously flat face and large dark eyes that are exaggerated by black rings around them. The light color in the middle of its forehead going down to the beak could easily look a lot like, you know, the reflection you might see on an ape-like face or kind primate face. Kind of a scowling face. brow, yeah. if you will. Yeah, true that. It also appears grayish-brown when seen from below, which would go in line with reports of the Ahul being gray, generally. Mm -hmm. And it has a rather characteristic call, which I will play a couple samples of now. They are not exactly Ahul noises, but um, they're nonetheless spooky noises. I need the little plug-in device. I gave it to you before, Wyatt. You very well may have. Is it here? Yeah. Jake. Huh? It's already plugged into my computer. <laughs> Please cut that out. <laughs> so we'll have one here. Mm. Spooky sound. Yeah. There's another good little hit coming up. Is this from Zeno Canto by any chance? That it very much is. Oh, I fucking love Zeno Canto. It's a good bird call, huh? <laughs> it's a bunch of weird low bass sounds. It's just been breathing in this whole time for the next call. <laughs> That were you to hear in the dark of night in a tropical rainforest <laughs> would scare the hell out of you. You know, it really would. And yeah. it, it's making me think of the time I heard a great potu. I believe it was a potu. The fuck is that? Why? Can I can I quickly take yeah, a tangent? Yeah, please. While you tangent, I'm going to say it reminds me of when I was sitting at my parents' house. Uh, had my windows open because it was like a pleasant, cool summer night. Right. I think at this point, it was like two in the morning. I don't know why I was still awake. 
um, you know, it was college age, so weird hours. Crazy college kid. And it was the first time I heard a fox. Oh. And foxes are the most terrifying sound. They make so much. Have you heard a raccoon in the night? No. Oh, my God. If you guys don't mind, let's just go. For can just, we take a quick walk yeah, down scary creatures let's in the start night first? With what was the name of this? Is this, thing is you this an episode of scary creatures, scary in, the creatures night? in the night? <laughs> I think it is. I guess I'll finish what I was saying. But the yes, yeah, yeah I was please. There in my room at nighttime, windows wide open, second floor, but still, and I heard this scream outside. I thought maybe a woman had just been murdered outside my window, which right. made no sense because rural Maine, not Plus, next. <laughs> you were the only one doing the murders on campus at this time. So. Oh yeah, certainly. <laughs> no, this, this is my parents' house. Oh, um, never mind. I was the one doing murder at my parents' house too, but still. Um, <laughs> when you go psychosis? <laughs> I suddenly heard this loud scream and scared the hell out of me. I was like, what the hell was that? And then I waited and it happened again. I was like, oh my God. So then I realized, okay, it's, it's an animal. But what the hell is it? Luckily, the following night, I happened to have an audio recorder handy, like you do, right. and, uh, but I made sure to have it so that I could just quickly pull it out and record if it happened again, and it did, and I was able to use that to refer to stuff online until I found that it was a fox. Oh, uh, cool. What the, what the fox says, it fucking screams. <laughs> shrieks. <laughs> I, um, similarly, uh, raccoons make a really horrible sound. I will, uh. I'll play that first and then get back to the Poe 2 and okay. tell you the story on that. Let's try this one. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, that's not great. It gets worse than that. But I won't go down that road too far. You get the idea. I do. It's an unpleasant, pretty uh, pretty loud sound. Um. So, the great Poe 2, basically, uh, Nick Tibius is the genus. It is related to night jars other frog-mouthed birds. It's a nocturnal carnivorous bird that's very distinct from an owl, even though they have similarly owl-like features. Mm -hmm. Very round-headed and kind of bullet-shaped overall profile-wise, but huge bugged-out eyes and, um, you know, just general night foragers. And they have a very sonorous song um which is where the name potu comes from because they have like a, a call i think the common potu goes like it's like a very kind of nice little okay. thing but the gray potu also does this kind of gurgling bark <laughs> and i <laughs> went on a night hike um when i was in costa rica as an undergrad um with a tropical ecology class and on our way back to our campsite, we hear in the distance this like sound, and I'm gonna see if one the first one I pick hopefully will be the uh, uh, the sound. Oh my god, that's the sound. It's horrible. <laughs> that's the sound it makes when it's flying and is alarmed. <laughs> So you scare this thing, then decides, well, I'm going to scare you back Quite in ways so. you will never expect. I heard that barfing noise in the distance over oh and over God. again, which is just its sort of <laughs> night call. And as I got closer, it did the sort of like <laughs> noise getting away. Creeped me out. Had to look it up. <laughs> but anyway, that was quite the quite the night sound. So anyway, taking it all the way back around. <laughs> Ahoo! Ahoo! Um, now here's a brown... Wood owl <laughs> just goes hoot. Huh. So you heard the shriek before. Mm -hmm. Now it's just going. Toot. 
Oh, that went. That time went. You get the idea. I do. So. Thank you, Xenocanto.org. Xenocanto.org. Highly recommended. All the birds Super cool. in the world. They've got them recorded. And let's see. So. The Javan Wood Owl, highly territorial during the breeding season, and will frighten away intruders with mock attacks from above and behind. Mm. Given that it's an owl, its flight is also largely dead silent. Mm-hmm. And so a person being attacked might not even know it's happening until the thing is almost right on you. Jeez. And at that point, typically this will be at night as well, we would see some large winged thing flying straight at your face with talons which would appear to be held at, if you will, breast height mm-hmm. on the creature because it will hold its talons outstretched. And you can imagine how someone seeing this whoosh come right by you. Yeah, right over your head as described in that one account. Absolutely terrifying. And you might only piece together, wow, that thing had a pretty flat face with big black eyes, huge clawed hands, and it was at me at night, so it was maybe a bat. Right. Boom. Put it together. Furthermore, the uh, Javan Wood Owl is quite rare, apparently, and elusive, and occupies um, a range that's rather altitudinous, maybe 1,000 to 1.500 meters. Hmm. Uh, 1.5,000 meters, excuse me. So, there you go. I like that as potentially explaining the Ahul. However, much like the Phantom of the Chicago, large bat-like creatures have been sighted around the globe. So this is not the only case of this kind of cryptid. We can jump to Cameroon, mm-hmm. where the Oletiao, I may be pronouncing this incorrectly, are said to roam. The description is highly similar to the Ahul, a large bat-like creature with dark, uh, dark body and massive wings. Cameroon is also very biodiverse and rainforested. Mm-hmm. In 1932... A, an explorer and cryptozoologist, Ivan T. Sanderson, explored the area, just sort of looking about, and they were attacked by what um, he and his uh, colleague were attacked by what he described as the granddaddy of all bats. <laughs> and he. Um, the OG bat. The OGB, exactly. <laughs> he mentions that its lower jaw hung open, displaying huge white teeth that were a good two inches in length. And. That its body was of a coal black and did not appear to have any hair, interestingly enough. Hmm. The fact that you could be attacked by a bat and get all those details down to such a description (laughs) is a bit conspicuous to me. Yeah. Back in Indonesia, uh, the islanders of Saram have claimed since around the 1500s to have seen and even uh, been attacked by Orang Bati. Hmm. So... You may think you uh, orang may trigger off um, thoughts of orangutan. Mm-hmm. Same root. So orang means man, and bati is basically winged, so large winged man. Orangutan okay. is the man of the woods, essentially. What is orang pendek? Orang pendek. That's another that story is another for cryptid. a future episode, yeah. I feel like. Let's, uh, let's look it up now. Yeah. And we can just dangle it out there and people can look it up and go like, oh, I'm bored of that episode already, dude. Just a bunch of bird calls and them looking them up in real time. So Orang Pendek is short person. Oh. So it's sort of like a uh, jungle hobbit. Okay. That's a creepy looking one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get to that. Cool. So Orang Bati, also large bat-like creatures, but these ones are much more monkey-like. Um, okay. 
and most famously, a tropical agriculturalist, Tyson Hughes, uh, visited Saram in June 1986 to work as a project manager of a model farm, just sort of help, helping local folks get a new sort of farm system in place. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the following from Carl Schuker's book, The Beasts That Hide from Man, Seeking the World's Last Undiscovered Animals. During his free time, Tyson became interested in native accounts of a bizarre creature known as the Orang Bati, meaning flying men in Indonesian. The villagers of the coastal regions live in literal terror of the Orang Bati, which, they claim, live in the interior of long-dead volcanic mountains. Hmm. At night, the Orang Bati will leave their mountain lairs and fly across the jungles to the coast, where they seize human victims from the coastal villages and carry them back to the mountains. Although the local police are aware of the native accounts of the Orang Bati, they dismiss them out of hand, mocking any reports that filter their way. The majority of uh, serving police officers are actually Javan, so their skepticism is perhaps not unexpected. These mysterious creatures are described as human in form, with red-colored skin, black wings, and long, thin tails, and emit a long, mournful wail as they approach. Hmm. So, during his 18-month stay, Hughes went from uh, basically being a skeptic to believer, and claims to have actually had an encounter with the creatures, which left an impression on him. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find his direct report of these encounters, but it's sort of like recounted that he did have them. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, the question is open. Is it a cryptid? Is it a tall tale? This seems to be a kind of phenomenon around the globe, interestingly enough. Yeah. It's sort of funny, like the Phantom of the Chicago stuff that we've enjoyed so much, like... I just feel like even through incidentally looking up other stories, I've run across similar descriptions time and time again. Oh, for sure. When I was trying to look up stuff, I definitely found the Ahul at one point. I was like, okay, there's other giant bat stories out there. Right. And, you know, the flying fox is a pretty good example of a confirmed creature of relatively large, even unbelievable size yeah. for its group. Sure. I mean, most bats are maybe maybe up to a foot in wingspan. I mean, excuse me if I'm getting this wrong. I don't know my bats too terribly well, I suppose. <laughs> but I believe they are far and away the largest bat. Yes. Um, oh, yes. And they're, I mean, they really are huge compared to anything you'd ever see in North America at all. It's just, yeah, right. totally different scale. The good thing in this case, though, is it's a diurnal species. Mm. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is it diurnal? It is. And um, highly conspicuous. Very, very easy to observe. The word of the day today. <laughs> Am I saying conspicuous a lot? Yes. Oh, a conspicuous my. number of times. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's see. And yeah, I do like the owl angle very much. Yes. But maybe I could also read that other tale. Go for mentioning. it. While you do that, I'm just going to say, I'm noticing one pattern between our two stories today, and the just general kind of widespread stories of these sort of creatures is... There's the seeming kind of um, trend of Europeans going to a new place, <laughs> seeing true. something they don't understand, and then reporting back about these monsters they've encountered. <laughs> it seems to be a trend over history. It even makes me think of like seafarers going like, oh, don't go that way. There's uh, sea monsters. Yeah. Just kidding. Dragons out there. And it's like, yeah. no, dude, they're just whales. There's just you know, people seeing stuff they haven't seen before. And in this case, particularly Europeans seeing stuff. So, yeah, going to Indonesia, 
seeing this thing, which could be, yeah, just an owl swoop past him. Like, oh my God, I saw the most gigantic thing. And it was just so scary. And it did this. And then a few years later, it hooled at me. And it's <laughs> something totally different. And then finding that the natives don't have quite this, like, and like, I don't, whatever, man. It's just not like, like it was an ongoing story specifically of that thing up until then. Or like with the anacondas, it was like, oh, I saw this. 70 foot snake and then the people are like well i mean there are big snakes out here we have them they're big we yeah right big snakes too they're not that you, big yeah. you guys are excited about big snakes okay yeah we can tell you about big snakes we've seen like it's just <laughs> just europeans getting hung up on overexcited things. yes <laughs> and also um, the idea of like you know the the big fish story where um which i think is also i mean right. i think that's kind of a, a general human tendency but especially Europeans traveling to foreign lands and coming back. Mm-hmm. They want to have fantastical tales to tell people. You so need, they're you going need to, a big old tale. Yeah, so you're going to exaggerate the size of the thing you said you saw too. Especially if, yeah, you know, you say, even if you didn't see something, but especially if you did, just like you're saying, you know, maybe you do kill some big snake, but you're like, well, we can't get the body back, but let's say it was this big. Yeah. Right, so true. Well, the story I have is Frank Shaw's Gargoyle. Yay. You know this one? No. It's just right. gargoyle. Sounds great. <laughs> I like the... Yay. <laughs> so this is a... What they're chalking up to monster. And this is from Cryptids. Good old uh, Cryptids. Cited in 1986, which is, I believe, the same year as the uh, Tyson Hughes story. Hmm. But a NASA employee had a horrifying encounter i'm reading essentially off the site right now with a winged jet black malevolent monstrosity <laughs> on a blustery evening sometime in 1986 frank shaw a nasa archivist at houston's johnson space center claimed to have had a terrifying run-in with a creature that seemed to hail from beyond mythology oh man uh, while information regarding this case is admittedly sparse shaw's daughter desiree would eventually reveal the details of this mysterious run-in to author Nick Redfern in 2004. Desiree testified that she first realized that something was dreadfully wrong when her father returned home late one night after working at the Space Center. While neither Desiree nor her mother were particularly alarmed by Shaw's tardiness, as he often was required to work into the wee hours, they were both dismayed by his alarmingly apprehensive demeanor. And when he started vomiting blood. Yeah. He had clawed his eyes out, and (laughs) according to Shaw, he was walking to his car at the end of his shift when he happened to glance up and see a ghastly black gargoyle-like figure perched ominously on the edge of one of the Space Center's buildings. Hmm. Shaw claimed that he was frozen in horror at the sight of this astounding apparition, which, according to his description, was a jet-black humanoid that seemed to have a large quote-unquote cape draped across its shoulders he saw the batman exactly (laughs) the creature shot a hook shot (laughs) across the way and swung (laughs) as if that weren't bizarre enough he claimed that he saw two massive bat-like wings sticking out of either side of the fabric or perhaps wrinkled flesh of what he perceived to be a cape so it has wings and a cape (laughs) exactly (laughs) classic gargoyle right (laughs) (laughs) shaw then told his family that not only had he seen this creature but it had stared directly down at him shaw would later assert that he believed that this being actually seemed to be savoring the fact that it had managed to inspire such terror in him <laughs> um gets off on that shit yeah his arm is just going <laughs> <laughs> that was the most frightening part for me 
At that point, the gargoyle seemed to unfurl its wings, which Shaw stated made a crackling noise as it took flight in the powerful howling gusts of wind. He runs to his car, drives home. He finally gets the courage to confide in his immediate supervisor. And... Is promptly fired. Was, yeah, (laughs) sent straight to the loony bin. But he was, in fact, informed that he was not the first person at uh, Johnson Space Center to have seen this creature skulking around. And, in fact, his boss revealed that a secret file had even been opened on the creature just a few months prior to his sighting. Wow. Eerie stuff. Yeah. Cool. More flying winged creepy things. I'll tell you what. That just made me think of... uh, something that i've been holding on to for a while with all the updates in the phantom of the chicago and hadn't really know when i'd when i'd throw it out there because it didn't really contribute to any specific narrative of any sort sure but i happened to find when i was looking at different types of pterosaurs and stuff all right um jehelopterus was i think the name of uh <laughs> the name of an old uh type of pterosaur oh look at this that guy look like and so it's most pterosaurs you think of having like you know the long face Sometimes even the kind of crest in the back of the head. Right, right. This one has a much shorter, kind of spooky face. looking. It is. I mean, it's just a skeleton, but um, and then it has claws and wings. It looks a little more gargoyle-like in terms of right. you know, the things we've described. And so, not to say that this is something that could somehow be alive now, but just um, it's cool to see an actual animal that once lived that looks like the things that being looks, described. Yeah, very much so. That's cool. Very cool. So we'll post a picture of that too. Yeah, good deal. Well. There you have it. There's our warm tropical uh, take on some spooky yes, stories indeed. this time around. <laughs> and there's how well we keep our shit together after two back-to-back recordings. Not too bad. Conspicuously well done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much for listening. Um, please feel free to uh, rate and review on iTunes. Share with your friends. Tell everyone you know about That's Super right. Duper Stitious. Spread the word. And uh, yeah, have yourselves a very happy holiday. Hope you guys are cozied up. Have a happy new year. I think it's the next one after this one comes That's out. Right. That's we'll right. We'll be in the new year. And um, if you have any creepy stories of your own or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at contact at superduperstitches.com or tweet us at superduperstitch. That's right. You can also perhaps leave a comment on our SoundCloud or reach out to us through Facebook. Facebook, yes. Facebook.com slash superduperstitches. Or even, I think, like you can send messages on Instagram. We have an Instagram, too. It's at we super, got it all. Superduperstitious. All the things. That's right. Contact us. If you want, you can just send us one message to every single thing. and we'll Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the um, woof from uh, The Office where you can just like... <laughs> last every possible <laughs> social media thing at once yes. <laughs> anyway so yeah thanks for joining us thank we'll you talk very much to you next time yeah catch you guys next week bye bye, bye.